Hello and welcome to the Therapy Works podcast, the podcast that confronts some of life's biggest challenges. I'm your host, Julia Samuel, a mother of four, a best-selling author, and as a psychotherapist, hosting this podcast is a natural fit. Every week, I will invite you into my therapy room, where I shall be joined by a well-known voice or an unknown voice, and they will open up about a particular struggle they have faced or are still facing. At the end of each episode, I will be joined by my two, yes, two psychotherapist daughters, who will reveal their thoughts and broader insights about my therapy session. It really is three therapists for the price of one. It's definitely worth a listen. I'm really happy to be recording this podcast with Garant John. Garant is the founder of Move Digital, a company that makes podcasts for people like the UK government, Big Nasty and me. As his company produced my A Living Loss podcast series last year, which is how I got to know you, Garant. Garant lives in East Dulwich, London, for the past 10 years and is the husband of Deb and father to Noah, Enfis and Serin, and Gwen the Cockapoo. Gerund is a first language Welsh speaker, and before setting up his current company, he ran a record label in Cardiff, which was called the Booby Trap Singles Club, which was described by Rolling Stone magazine as the best label in the world. Can't get better than that. Gerund's life changed in March 2021 when his wife, Deb, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So, Garen, thank you for joining me here on Therapy Works. No problem. And I guess my question, which you've kind of answered already, is but what is the challenge that's been most difficult that you're facing or have had to overcome? I mean, gosh, there's just so many uh, challenges Um that we've had to overcome that's um you know it's it's where do i start really but i guess it would have to be perhaps the day to day and just carrying on um with the day to day because when a crisis happens and i guess this is an absolute uh, crisis what we're going through at the moment and what obviously deb is going through at the moment because she's essentially the one that's um suffering so much but life goes on doesn't it so um you know, the radio still plays and the world spins around. And, you know, as a human being and as a father and, you know, business owner, I've got commitments. And it, and it's, you know, essentially just carrying on when you've got all this other more important stuff going on in the background, you know, so I, f- I find that incredibly challenging. And I mean, I can imagine is that on the one hand, life on the outside, I mean, apart from hospital visits and her illness, looks normal. So somebody who doesn't know you, who's working with you, would have no idea that you're managing this massive life-threatening crisis. And you, and I guess for the children as well, you're having to kind of keep the show on the road. And it's the juggling of being okay whilst living with a life-threatening diagnosis kind of in the back of your brain. I mean, maybe, do you want to take us back to the day you Deb got diagnosed? Yeah, so it was, she, life was, you know, really, really normal up until this point, you know, I want to add. Um, we had, to, we'd been married for 16 years and we'd kind of gone on this crazy adventure together where we met in Cardiff, you know, quite quickly, um, got married, which was hilarious. Like it was a shotgun wedding. And, and you know, we we were, we are just really in love with each other. And we moved from Cardiff to London with the kids at the age of, I was 31 at the time, 10 years ago. So quite a, just these huge kind of things that we did together. And, and it was always together. And life was getting better and better as you in your 30s, you tend to, you know, you've got responsibilities, but you're getting a bit older. The kids are getting older. You're able to go out again. You've got maybe a bit more money. So you're eating out. You're having fun. 
you know, and even lockdown. We had a great time in lockdown. Actually, amazing year. We loved lockdown. Yeah, no, because I, I was recording podcasts because everyone wanted a podcast. And life was really good. And then suddenly it changed when she um, got really ill and they thought it was kind of pancreatitis. Or is that if that's the correct phrase? So she was in hospital for a week and then we got called in. And then it was the, you know, never forget this meeting that we had and the words, I'm afraid you've got pancreatic cancer. And it was just heartbreaking, you know, didn't know anything about cancer until that point never met anyone with cancer no one in my family had ever had it so it was this always this thing that other people had but it's not going to affect us because you know we've got a great life and it you know we're invincible as well so it doesn't affect us and of course from that moment just everything changed and I had no idea at the time just how much it would change no idea but boy it really has changed since that diagnosis in March uh, last year it's like at that moment kind of it's a schism between for before then and after then that you know what grief starts at the point of diagnosis and before then you'd had this adventurous loving lovely life that was getting better and better and you could really kind of feel alive and optimistic and then it was like this kind of bomb came and landed in your family and I guess as you're saying, in some ways, you didn't know how devastating it would be or what it would look like. But every day you're dealing and learning and finding a way of living with it whilst not knowing. It's living in a kind of unknown planet in a way, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's um, it's terrifying. Yeah. And we're, and it's like you said, it's changing still every day you know like where we've got a crisis absolute crisis going on at the moment which we'll you know touch on perhaps a little bit later but um yeah just absolutely you're right a bomb hit us and yeah before that I can't even remember really stuff before that you know you kind of look at it and it's that it that was then and and now this is now and that that was a real turning point in you know in our in our lives and I imagine you know all of you you and your three kids you know all of you must have a lot of different feelings because all of you are affected by it and often in families everyone in the family feels differently you know behaves differently deals with it differently and also it's sort of everyone kind of you know feelings are contagious so in some ways, you may not be saying things around the kitchen table, but everybody is feeling stuff around the kitchen table. So I imagine kind of navigating what's both said and what isn't said and how everybody feels. And then maybe, I don't know, do some of your kids get angry or you lose it? or Because often when we suffer, we, you know, it pushes on us kind of to express ourselves in anger or sadness or and and you sort of want to be your best self, but it's really hard. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm a showman. And I think that's, I, I always describe it as being a showman. So I'm having to kind of put on this front constantly now. And I feel like for me, I'm not the priority at the moment. I'm right back down there. So I have to prioritise Deb and the children. So every decision I make and every expression that I make on my face is going to be interpreted you know by three kids and then I have to be obviously massively supportive and positive I'm quite a positive person I like being positive I believe in PMA that's my thing kind of positive mental attitude always being the same really and um, it's applying that to this and it's it's tough oh it's tough just even that word saying putting on I'm being the showman I can kind of picture the kind of chaos and distress that's going beneath that and the effort it takes I mean it can you even begin to describe that well yeah it's just um uh, I guess being positive means being positive for her as well and you know let's face it she's got a really really deadly um form of the disease and we're hopeful, we're never going to give up, you know, we're never accepting that, you know, you know, that it's going to 
be the end for her. We think and believe that she's going to she's going to get through this. And she believes that as well. So just yesterday, um, she was in the hospital yesterday and it was actually a woman came in and she said, do you do you know, can you remember who that was? I said, no. She said, that's the woman who diagnosed us and said the words you've got. And I was, it had this, it was the most hor- horrifying feeling. And she came back in and I was just looking at her. And she said to Deb, um, which was really beautiful, actually. She said, you're, you're inspiring. You're, we all think that you're inspiring. You're inspiring wow. everyone, all the oh, team. Yeah. And, you know, we, that was a really, a real moment because she is, she's, if you look at her Instagram, um, she's been posting stuff from the start and she's, you know, there's a kind of cancer community as well, yeah, yeah. you know, um, you know, um, and there's good outcomes and bad outcomes. So she's part, a part of that community, I guess. And um, yeah, yeah. So that, that was a real moment, you know. So I guess that it's the positivity that like it is going to be okay. And, you know, she, there is, we are going to find a cure for this and it is going to be all right. And we'll just cut it out. That's what we're going to do. We're going to cut it out and get rid of it because that's, you know, you're special and you're inspiring, you know? So that's what we kind of uh, say. I mean, I completely agree with you that you have to hold on to the hope that the hope is where it turns your life around and it gives you the possibilities. I can't help, and this is a bit too therapeutic maybe, but I can't help notice that I asked you about how you were feeling behind the mask and you very gently slided the conversation to talking about Deb being an inspiration. Yeah, I'm all over the shop, you know, so I'm probably depressed, I guess, whatever that would mean. I've I'm never really... You don't sound um, depressed. No, I can put on a really good act, basically, but I, I, you know, I'm struggling kind of, like I said, the day-to-day because I've... I'm kind of putting on this uh I'm show now and I am on a podcast and I'm you know enjoy talking to you I'm which is why I was saying the day to day I'm in the day to day and I have to put on the show man I'm you know looking after everyone I've got after this now I have to go and pick up from school we've got a show tonight I've got to get to the hospital but you know deep down it's um I guess I'm kind of crumbling a little bit, you know, Um, and I'm sure I will absolutely crash at some point. You know, that's inevitable, isn't it? You know, because I know what happens um, in these scenarios. There's an inevitable crash, isn't there? Because you can't be the showman all the time. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, you know, supporting you in this moment from my experience and and, and I've worked with many families where there's someone with a with a very bad diagnosis. Sure is there are many things that happen within the family. And one of them is that you you and Deb protect each other and the children from the complexities and the difficulty of all what you're feeling and you all kind of put on a show. And that that is really important and it really works. I would also say that in order to kind of support each other and yourself there are times and places where you need to be able to express openly and honestly what you really feel yeah some of the more crumbling aspects of yourself yeah so because then that builds it models it for the children that they can do that to you that they don't have to kind of join you in the performance if you like yeah but also you have those moments of honesty which also build connection Mm. And in that building connection, that does soften the fear, because in some ways, this protection that I completely get you have to put on, it's also an armour that stops good things coming in. So I can feel how strong the love is with you and Deb. And I imagine some of that depth of that feeling isn't being expressed with each other because there's so much pain involved. Mm. I think that might be quite a valid point. But it's tough, isn't it, kind of talking about stuff that's so dark that it's easier not to talk about it sometimes, isn't it? You know, we obviously have moments where we do discuss really difficult things, you know. But, yeah, I would agree that perhaps, yeah, more of a dropping the the, uh, armour every now and again might be helpful, you know. And it might be nice for her to comfort you Mm. so that it's reciprocal. 
to let her feel like she has strength as well, holding you, letting you be sad with her, letting you be your vulnerable self with her as you did before her diagnosis. Because otherwise she's just the patient and she's the one that everyone is kind of looking after. And there may be part of her that, you know, I'm sure she's still parents, but also she wants to hold on to her identities as lover, you know, partner, mother, sister, friend. Can I say one more thing? I don't know yeah. if I'm stepping a, a, too far. Oh, honestly, you know, the reason that I'm on this is that I'm open. I'm an open book, you know, just recommend stuff. It's helpful. Well, the, the other thing that I was thinking about before I was speaking to you is while you hold hope, you also hold the reality and they both need that she has a very bad diagnosis and you hold the hope that she's going to be the one that survives and beats it. And I think those two kind of sit side by side. And you go for the hope, of course you do, because in some ways that makes you believe that she's going to be okay and you feel like by loving her, you give her hope and yourselves hope and that is the energy that you need. But I would kind of, what's the word, offer the possibility of also recognising that if she does have a limited life, the time that you have now is a very precious time and you will spend the rest of your life going back and looking at the conversations and wondering about those opportunities and times that you spent. And my kind of suggestion is ensure that you have touchstones to those memories that will support you and will mean that you don't have regrets. So talking to her like, is she frightened of dying? What does she believe? All the kind of depth of things that you feel for each other. Because regrets are a derailer of grief. And I can see, <laughs> I feel bad. It's like I, I'm pushing something in your face that... I reckon I can see you rubbing yourself. It's like, obviously, you don't want to focus on this. And and yet, you, you've offered me the opportunity to. Yeah. Yeah, that's something to consider, I guess. It's, that's something that we don't do at all, you know. Because we, yeah, I guess we, whilst, you know, we, we just hold on to the hope, I guess. So that's, that's, that's just kind of how we, how we deal with it. How we deal with it. And, and I I understand that. I do understand that. Are you... Shall we move on from that? Yeah. My other kind of question for the podcast is, what do you think it is about this experience that's particularly challenging for you? I mean, maybe you've said it already. It's like putting on a show and being in front of... being supporting everybody. Yeah, it's quite, like, tiring, you know, um, and exhausting, and it's... So that, that, that's quite a, a challenge, you know. So currently she's, um, she got diagnosed with uh, sepsis about three weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Oh so brushed um, into hospital like three weeks ago. And she's been there ever since um, trying to get rid of sepsis. Because, of course, when you've got, um, when you're on chemotherapy, you're immune to get infections. She got an infection, which, you know, turned out to be a blood infection. So she's currently waiting to have an operation in hospital. So, you know, I think I've been in 40 times or 40, maybe more, just to, so I'm taking food in. And then I'm coming back and picking the kids up, ballet exams, there's a big drama show tonight, walking the dog, trying to run my business somehow. And, you know, I'm unable to really do much work at the moment. I've just said I'm not available, you know, for a couple of weeks. But, you know, that is a challenge in itself. And That's huge. And then, of course, you know, you perhaps don't look after... Because normally my tactic is that I exercise a lot. So I think, right, I'm going to run three or four times a week and I'm a bit of a boxer, not very good, but I, I've had, you know, been boxing a lot. And the, my boxing gym's in Brixton, Miguel's boxing gym. Fantastic. And a very, very just really supportive network of, of very positive people, you know, so um, which is kind of what I need at the moment. So, and so that's that's helpful. But of course, when there's a crisis, like she's in hospital, that goes. So I don't, haven't been to the, well, I actually went today for the first time, but I haven't been going to the gym, haven't been running, haven't been really 
it's quite cliche, but you're not really eating very much. So you, I lost about a stone. Oh my goodness. Really? I know because you're, you're not eating, you're not looking after yourself and you're perhaps drinking too many beers. And so, and then I have a word with myself, come on now, you're human. You're going to do this. This is predictable and inevitable, but you need to sort it out now. So you need to get back on track, back on, you know, running, boxing, being positive. And, and that, that, um, that really works for me. And I guess anyone listening to this who would be perhaps going through a similar experience at the start of it, you know, perhaps someone's just been diagnosed. What I would say if you're, you know, if it's your partner, you need to really think about your, um, your physical and mental well-being. You need to be exercising um, and you need to be looking at what you're putting into your body because, you know, essentially it's your body needs nutrients it needs good quality food it needs sleep it needs water it needs and there's stuff that it doesn't need and you put too much of the stuff that it doesn't need in and you know you're not exercising um we're we're built to exercise the human body is built to move and it's movement and you've got to you've got to move and that then means that you can deal with this absolute crisis in a bit of a more you know balanced responsible way than if you're just your head's just in space which is where it would be i completely agree with you that in some ways this battle that is coming at you every day that really supports you to be able to do that and it's kind of awful paradox that when you need it most like right now in the crisis of her with sepsis is the time you're not eating well you're not exercising and that is so shit it's shit isn't it yeah so all that means is i go to the hospital and then she's what's wrong with you you just sat there and you're quiet well i'm probably just a bit like knackered spaced out because i'm i'm knackered i'm hungover. <laughs> i haven't been going to the gym my head is all over the shop i can't tell you that because that's going to upset you so no i'm fine but i'm not fine <laughs> whereas if i'm exercised and i'm slept well slept like i am now it's okay you can kind of process stuff so i think that's Honestly, anyone listening to this, please, from, you know, someone first in doing it at the moment, just don't do what I, you know, do what I say, exercise and eat well. Not what you do. Yeah, exactly. Because the other thing is that when you're knackered and underslept and under-exercised, your capacity to think and process and and make decisions goes offline because you're kind of in that kind of heightened mode. It's like there's a fire alarm in your head. So you're constantly running and you can get stuff done and you're good at doing stuff. But also there's a split between your kind of body and your mind. And it feels, I don't feel it, I can see you looking at me, but I imagine you feel you're a bit outside of yourself, observing yourself rather than feeling integrated and connected i think i think so yeah you know they say when you just feel your feet on the ground and feel the earth i don't feel that i just feel you know i don't know where i am really and i, I guess i won't for a very long time um that, that at least there's moments you know you, you, there's i think if when she comes back now from the hospital that's when ah oh, right she's back she, I can just relax now. I know. She's safe. I, I go to the office. She's safe. I can just cook food, make sure she's all right. And then when she's better, we've got, um, we love London and we love going to restaurants. Let's go. We've got an electric car as well. So it means that we can drive anywhere in London without the congestion charge. So good tip as well. <laughs> yes. um, so you, you, you can kind of get anywhere. And um also handy for the chemo as well because I do drop her off there once or twice a week so I can actually drive to the hospital and park outside you know so um that's really handy um but yeah you, you definitely uh it's good when she's back I can really hear that and I can't help thinking who, who else is there that can support you that is I mean I imagine your family are in Wales but have you got people that can do some of the fetching and carrying and so to create space so that you have a bit more time to go to the gym or do the shopping or we've fortunately got a very good support network so we've got really great friends from the schools um you know friends of um 
parents, you know, parents from the, from the school. So that's great. We've got family who will come at the drop of a hat. Debs's mum is a bit of a superhero. So she literally spends, I think she spent probably half, three quarters of her time in London since it, the diagnosis. So she's really here. Wow. So that really has helped, you know, because otherwise we would be, well, I have kind of been on my own for the last, I was on my own for seven days with the kids while she had the sepsis. And that was quite tough with, um, I think what I would say is that people, like you say, if you're a closed book, I can feel it that the parents around don't know what to say to me. So it's quite, I don't know if you, this is a common theme, but people just don't know what, what to say. It's very common. What to say, because it's so bad. And so you pick up the kids in school and you can feel it. People are like, oh my God, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to talk to him. I'm going to, I'm going to walk that way because it's, you know, it's human nature, isn't it? You don't really want to, you've got your own stuff to deal with and this is a crisis and it's the, oh God, I'm just glad it isn't me really, you know, that's the deep down, you know, how you kind of feel. So I, I do actually find it quite funny. So I stand there and I'm really aware of it and I'm looking, trying to look to see what reactions I'm, so I get a bit of a kick out of that, you know, just. People, so you're like how people handle it. So you're like the kind of unexploded bomb that walk towards people and they go, ah, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, yeah, don't go for a pint with him because he's going to cry. And of course, that's not true. So I wish it was. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I will. What do you? Th- what if they didn't walk away from you? And I can see that, you know, you're, you you have a positive mental attitude. So you see the funny side, which is a lifesaver. It's probably dark humour, but it is a lifesaver. And I can, I really get that and that you want to hold on to that. But if someone did come up to you, what what would be a simple thing that they could say that actually would work for you? Um, I've met someone who's got a cure for cancer. And I'd like to introduce him to you. No, not that. Oh, um, I guess it's... I wish um, that was true. It'd be great. I think Elon Musk is the man. He's my hero. And I think he's going to do something. So, um, no. Um, I, God, that's a really difficult question. Because I perhaps I am a bit of a... I Perhaps I do put on a bit of a don't come near me vibe, you know? Because I don't perhaps want them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is. Because sometimes you just don't want to talk, do you? Because you're in a bad mood because you've just been, you're going to the hospital and you're a bit on edge and you just don't want to get into it, you know? So perhaps that that's, maybe there's a time for that and it's, perhaps it's not the time now, you know? Yeah, that might be true that, that in some ways that you need to protect yourself and they kind of recognise that need for protection. I guess what I would say is that they could just acknowledge, I'm so sorry, you know, just acknowledging, I'm so sorry that Deb's ill. And then you can either mm. change, you can say thank you and change the subject or say thank you and go, yeah, she's in hospital. She's got, you know, so that puts you, it just acknowledges it to you so that you feel that you're not a, a an unexploded bomb that they're running away from, but that you feel connected. Because <laughs> I do think there's this, what I understand with you it makes perfect sense that in one way, the, the thing that enables you to cope is being okay, is getting on with it, getting your chores done. That's worked for you your whole life. And loving Deb and loving each other and the family really works for you. And at the same time, you are aware of a lot of very difficult, dark things that are kind of invisible to some extent and very visible when she's in hospital. And you don't want to turn towards them. You don't want to talk about them. And I guess what we're looking at together, is that working for you? <laughs> or is there are there small different things that you can do that enable you to do a bit of both? Yeah, I think the kind of, yeah, perhaps dropping the mask every now and again wouldn't do me, would perhaps do me some favours. So perhaps, because I've got loads of friends, you know, um, back in Wales and jotted all over the place. And maybe I don't really, I, I don't let them give the impression that I, they'll answer the phone as soon as I call them, you know, but perhaps I don't just don't do it. And I, yeah, yeah, it's all fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, all good. That's my thing. I say, all good. <laughs> how, how are you, Garen? Yeah, all good. Yeah, all good. <laughs> I can hear, I can hear it. That kind of like, 
fine. In yeah. in therapy speak, fuck off. Fuck off yeah, it, totally fuck off. Don't ask me. I'm not going to go there. Let's talk about the rugby. Yeah, yeah. I do actually go and see someone once a week, though. I want to add that in. I've got a, a specialist uh, who was recommended to me actually about eighteen months ago, and I do have a little cry when I see him once a week, good. and perhaps it really comes out then. You know, that is a good thing. Uh, yeah, so that's I do actually find talking therapy, you know, extremely, extremely helpful. And perhaps I just get it all out then. And then the rest of the time I think, right, showman now, maybe that that's what it is. So I'll just have to keep on going there once a week forever until I'm kind of 85. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know? um, if you did swear at them when they said how, I mean, by the way, I was going to say that fine in therapy speak is fucked up, insecure, neurotic and emotional. I'm fine. But if you answered it truthfully, would it be something like, well, well, how the fuck do you think I am? Deb's really ill. I mean, is it is it is it a kind of fury? What is it that you don't say? Well, I'm probably quite angry, aren't I? Like, I'm really angry. Yeah. I'm really annoyed that I had this amazing life. It was a really good life with someone who I loved and love and who, you know, we were really... In it. Into yeah, each other. Yeah. As in, you know, we, like, it worked, you know, and it was great. And then suddenly that's been taken away, you know, and I, I'm just annoyed. I get annoyed when I look at um, other people. Um, yeah, I bet. Enjoying themselves and the, just the small talk crap that you get into. But then I miss it as well. And I miss Deb. What I find hard, I always use the school as the, but I'm, I, it breaks my heart that she's not dropping them off, you know. Yeah. I want her to drop them off. Yeah. I want, you know, her to... And it's the, the play tonight. Envis, my daughter's got her production play and she's not there. I'm there, you know. And it's, that's, it's stuff like that, you know, that I get angry at, you know. So perhaps I'll just... I'm going to the production tonight, so perhaps I'll just explode in there and... Um, Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I was going along your lines of, like, being humorous when I actually felt when you were speaking then the kind of heartbreak and the fury that is so bloody unfair. You know, she's so young, you're so in love, and it just doesn't make any sense that this should happen to her or to you. No. No, she's 43, for God's sake. It's crazy. Like, it's insane. Like, now we were supposed to be, you know, we'd be going away on holidays and we've got a holiday booked and we're going to have to cancel it because she's in holiday. You know, I can't. we can't go on holiday anywhere, so... Um, because she needs, she's been missing treatment, so she needs to do the treatment. So, uh, um, we we have to prioritise that, obviously. Yeah, that's a big thing. Have, do you want to talk about your kids and and how they are and what do, what truth do they know? What do they need? Do you want any advice from me? Yeah, I mean, with the kids. This is the huge challenge, isn't it? You know, um, how you communicate with them, the realities perhaps of the disease and, you know, and we haven't done that um, because it's just too, we we don't want them at this stage to be snow railed from school and, you know, because it's, it's big, you know, there's been big exams this year and there's... Like our thing is just keep the routine going, keep it going, keep the swimming on a Saturday, the ballet on a Tuesday, you know, all of those things. Just keep it going, wake up, go. And that's just really worked for us yeah, so yeah. far in the, the structure. They, they, they're happy. They're really happy. They're, you know, they're kids, aren't they? But I'm aware that at some point that's going to have to change. I mean, structure is the, your friend and their friend that holds you together. Kind of when, as you say, when everything is kind of chaotic and blowing up beneath the surface, the structure of swimming and ballet and school and getting to school is really um, vital in, in in containing and holding all all of that. And I think you're right. From another perspective, I also guess that they probably know more than you think that they do. Um, that they, but you're all kind of following each other's lead and not talking about it. And so one of the ways that you could begin 
to have a conversation. I would have it with all of them because all of the children need to have the same story and the same truth is what do they understand about their mum's illness? Question one. And question two, what are their worries? Because both of those questions are very open and they will tell you what they know. And they, what are your worries is a really good ongoing question that you can use a lot. Because if they don't want to talk about it, they can say, I'm worried that mum left my, or you left my um, ballet shoes behind. But actually they might say, I'm really worried about mum. Mm. Yeah, there'd certainly be no harm in um, in that. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because, yeah, like again, a challenge, the kids is just a challenge in itself really, in, in or in this... Uh, in this film that we're living at the moment, you know, this bad film. Surreal. The surreal film. Yeah. Yeah. But can I add one more thing in, though? Yeah. Is this, this, it's the same thing, but this idea of the children not having regrets in that if she goes downhill very fast and they haven't had the opportunities to talk to her, to, to ask her things, to have conversations with her, be with her, that could be a, an opportunity that they regret and miss. Yeah. And so in some ways, y- you can keep the hope alive and that she's going to get well, but in some ways it protects you all if they know the same truth as you know. Mm. From them being angry with you, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you give us that chance? We matter. Mm. You know. And of course you're doing it because you don't want them to suffer and they will understand that, but at the same time, I've often heard children and young people be angry with their parents yeah. of, of not knowing what was going on. No, that's good advice. That's good advice. I think it's something that we perhaps need to talk about, you know. You and Debs together. And Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. And holidays and doing it sort of, I don't know if Debs can walk, but doing it outside when you're kind of walking and talking or kind of going to have a picnic and, I don't know, doing it where there's space. And there's movement, but you're together mm. is in some ways more physiologically and psychologically holding than like round the kitchen table can feel overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. We'll um, no, she can walk. She's I mean, once she's out, she'll be. She does yoga kind oh, of wow. twice a week and Pilates, and you know she's got someone that comes around the house, and she's really going for it. You know, Good for the, her. and yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's a slog on her, you know. Obviously. Do you ask her if she has worries? No. No, I don't. Because we're just carrying on as normal, you know. You're gonna you're gonna get out, and it's gonna be okay. So, so uh, we don't use we don't talk about anything negative. It's just positive. And I can see you kind of smiling, and I can also feel a sort of sense of tension in in your throat as you say it. I mean, I'm the therapist. Of course, I'm going to dig about the stuff and and I'm not saying you're not right I'm just saying there are other ways of looking at it yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it to kind of get other opinions on on this this uh, tricky situation I guess looking back from where you are now to what you've been through what do you think you've learned Um, I've learned that I'm perhaps more resilient than I thought I was so I'm quite it's quite important to me that I'm resilient and I yeah. lead. Yeah, I find that quite important. When people say, "Oh, you're doing really well," I think oh, I like that. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's almost like everyone's expecting you to crumble, and I'm not. Perhaps I do sometimes. I'd say if it's hundred percent, I probably am okay. Ninety, and then ten percent, I'm not okay, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not really myself. But most of the time, I'm okay. Um, so I'm, res- I'm the re- the resilience is good, um, and I've learned that the world <laughs> is a big bad place. You know, it ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Um, and it's like that Rocky film, a quote that I really like, where he says, um, "It's not how hard you hit; it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward." Yeah. So that's what I just memorized. You know, yeah, you've got to get life back up. Is crap. At, you know, it's tough. And if you're not resilient, if you're not positive, it's going to eat, chew you up and spit you back out again. So that's why 
you know, you say I'm smiling and perhaps putting on the thing. It's because I'm thinking that, well, you know, I've, I've got to get through this. I've got to fight like like a boxing fight. I've got to fight my way through this because, you know, if I don't, if I, you know, I'm going to crumble. I have to keep it up, keep up this thing that's working and I will get through it, you know. Um, and that kind of capacity to bounce back is really important and that, you know, this you know, certainty ends when hope comes and you have possibility. And I can see that you go for the possibility and that really works for you. I guess psychologically, we it is also important to, you know, that 10% is important that you allow times to express and feel the pain of what, of how shit life is and what you've been hit with in some ways frees you to then bounce back and get up. You know, that mm. both, you can hold both. Yeah. Does that make sense or not? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, it does. It does. It's fascinating. I'd love to know. I don't really chat to other people in this position that much. Maybe I should. I'd love to see how other people cope with it. Like what's the, what happens, you know, what are, say if there's three scenarios. Yeah, perhaps this is a good question for you. And so in your experience, men in my position, um, what's the kind of the different character reactions that you see i in my actual book in um every family has a story i spoke to a a man archie who's got a terminal diagnosis i spoke to him and his whole family and so very much similar to you that you you need to hold on to the hope the difference with archie which i think was supportive is that they did have difficult conversations they did explore difficult things um and they were sad together and they named difficult worries and experiences. Um, I, I I have also worked with people who they are the ill person and no one in their family will talk to them about their illness. They just only go for the hope. So then with that woman, she I got her best friends and her mum to sit round a kitchen table and talk about how the, the father is going to bring up their son when she dies because she wanted to make sure that things she thought about and things that she cared about were sort of on the table. They could be used or not used, but she wanted to kind of have her voice included in his upbringing. And she wrote him many letters. She wrote him a letter for when he was 18, for when he was 21, for when he was 25. Um, And that gave her a sense of peace because the worst thing for her is leaving her children. Mm. Um, so I don't think there is a right or a wrong way, and I think it's a no. messy, chaotic business. Um, and that we, you know, we all do the kind of best we can, given the absolute shit situation that we're in. And I think part of it is kind of being self-compassionate, like, you know, no one is going to be a hero in this. But it sounds like for you, that strength that you have, you can also repurpose it for your vulnerability because you have a natural capacity to be okay and I think it would also allow you to model to your children that that they could have all the different feelings not just the positive one but as I say that I'm thinking that's so therapy you know I don't even know that I'm 100% right it's just what I it's my model I don't know that I'm 100% right in saying that no well there's no you're right there's no right or wrong way of doing this is there really there's no right or wrong way. I tell you what I think really makes a difference, though, is that love is strong medicine and that when you can find ways of being loving with each other, which I'm sure you are, that is vital, but also support. Like, do not do this on your own. Get, you know, you said you've got lots of friends. I, I, I would ask for more support than you're getting. I would really encourage that mm. because if you can then take some time out to give yourself more space to even go for a little walk on your own or play you know you obviously love music from what you did before listen to music that will resource you to be kind of more balanced and give you more capacity to to connect with them yeah a lot of people are saying that as well that I need to be a bit more come on give give me some help give me some help so I need to perhaps, yeah, accept a bit more help and ask for it and not be the closed book in the school 
pick up, you know? I mean, a lot of people have WhatsApp groups so that they, like the school parents, there's like four or five yeah. of them and they, 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 they divvy up the tasks each week. Okay, yeah, I've got, yeah, yeah. I've got good good mates, you know, around and um, I just don't ask for it really. I do every now and again. I just don't really bother. So I need to. As you were saying, I don't really bother. What What's the feeling in your body when you say that? I don't know. Maybe a bit of self-pity. And just, well, you know, it's such a crap situation that we're in. It's just so rubbish. I just can't be bothered to put it on anyone else. You know, it's just, you just enjoy you don't have to get involved in this because it's so bad i'll just deal with it and you just go and be happy and do nice things maybe that sounds so yeah it's but it's such a um a loop isn't it like you go off and have your happy life i'll i'll sort out all the shit that's going on here yeah that's quite that's quite a loop (laughs) in your head yeah we could chat for hours about this you know Unloop me, unloop me. <laughs> Get rid of the loops. Can't, can't have any more loops. I think the loops. Are, I'm not saying get rid of the loops because that you know you you are really functioning. You're doing considering the circumstances you're in. You're you are being amazing. I'm yeah. just adding a couple of other loops. Yeah, I'm gonna ask for more help. More help from everyone. Everyone's gonna have to do their bit now and get involved in in the misery. Yes, hundred percent. People want stuff to do. It's much worse standing up, people you really care about, standing on the outside and not being able to do anything is really awful feeling. Mm. They love tasks. Let them go to Sainsbury's, cook you your lasagna, pick the kids up, all that stuff. People feel good about that. Yeah. Because they're so powerless to do what you all want most, which is to make dare better. Yeah, exactly. God, such a complicated uh, position I'm in, Julia. Just so complicated. It is really complicated. Just, and I'm really sorry it is so shit. I mean, we're coming to yeah. the end now. But it does feel yeah. like there's, we're at the beginning of of a even bigger conversation, really, that we've kind of yeah. got to a point where there's more to explore. Yeah, definitely. Well, we shall, uh, we shall, yeah, keep, keep chatting, I guess. Yeah, that would be nice. One of the very special things about this podcast is that at the end of every episode, I get the opportunity to reflect on the conversation with my two psychotherapist daughters, Sophie and Emily. Sophie is an adult psychotherapist and Emily is a child psychotherapist. And as we all specialise in different forms of therapy, it is really interesting to see what their takeaways are what their insights are, and if they think there was anything that I could have said or done differently. You'll quickly learn not all therapists agree on everything. But let's hear what their thoughts are this week. For me, gosh, it just was so sort of painful. And my first overarching thought was, it's so hard to talk about hard things. Um, like how do you speak the unspeakable with the people that you love the most and I think what really also came out was how as a therapist you can kind of present opportunities and suggestions and open these doorways that then Grant or whoever can choose to go through or not Um, and so I suppose that was my like overarching thought and sort of feelings around it. Because my question actually to both of you was was I too pushy? Should I, you know, I'd never really met him. Well, that was my question for you. <laughs> I wrote here, question for mum. What was it like to push him a little? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think some of it, if if he'd been in a room with me and not for a podcast, I may have gone more gently. Mm. I assumed that. And it's also time as well. Yeah. Some of those things you, I don't know, but I'm working with a client. It's quite different to having a one-off conversation with someone, isn't it? There's, over time, there would be timing mm. and there would be different moments that to offer certain insights or possibilities, like Emily said, that, that then it's more possible to time it in sync better. It's different when you are, you've got a one-off conversation with someone and you want to offer... My sense was you wanted to offer 
your therapeutic perspective in that moment and this was your one moment yeah but also it brought up for me something about timing in therapy in general and therapeutically for everyone and that we all have our necessary protective strategies in times of stress don't we? yes that's good and that I certainly as a therapist I feel very trusting in my clients um knowledge of themselves to know when they feel ready to make change and when for whatever reason they are the best possible choices for them to stay where they are and that's where that ethical question around pushing comes in doesn't it of of um kind of trusting that they know that in that moment in Garrett's case he really needed to hold the hope and that was really important in that moment Mm. to survive Mm. the situation that he was in and I and this was separate from him, but it made me reflect on my own life. Really? And how much, when really painful things are happening, and that that I know for myself, my capacity to be with pain is almost always in sync with how connected I feel with the people around me. Like that when I feel close and loved by my husband, by my family, by my friends, not just in my knowledge, but in, in a, an embodied way, I feel loved, I feel connected, then I feel able to feel pain and I feel able to soften around pain. And in your body. Cry or storm or, you know, and I and the times when I feel like that is not available, either because I'm not able to allow it or because it isn't available for circumstantial reasons, that's when I I get more rigid or get more like tougher more and and it's more like just I keep going but it makes me shorter sharper snappier armored yeah. uh, less fluid and but sometimes that's you know you need but you also have times where that's just necessary that's just mm. life right but I know it's it's connection that allows me to to allow how to feel yeah. I, I, th- I think also that maybe this is like too therapy-ish therapy-ish but I do think that there was like a parallel process going on where he is doing everything that he can to protect his family and protect himself and protect his wife. And I think you were feeling for really, I mean, for the, good reason. the best reason in the world. And he's doing so much to, to protect everybody. Yeah. Uh, and I think you were sort of in the same position where you felt like you wanted to protect him, but you also wanted to make sure that he knew all the options available to him and, and the potential outcomes of, of whatever he, decisions he made. Yeah. That's a nicer way of saying I, was, I, was too, I wasn't too pushy. No, I don't think you were no. too pushy at all. I really don't. No, no I mean, and, and I guess my other thought was, was just really about the advice you gave, more generally not specific to him, around, you know, having conversations with your children and your family about these really painful, difficult things and... I think you gave really wonderful, incredibly helpful advice that will be useful for lots of people. I think talking can be really, really hard. And if he does or anyone decides to sort of open up painful conversations, there are also other things you can do that are not just talking, um, particularly with with um, younger children or children who like talking, they just kind of close down because sometimes children do. Um, so it's for example, you could have something like a worry box in your house and your children can just write something down and you can have a time set in the day or every two days, whatever, um, and just kind of go through what they've put in the box and then they have the opportunity to talk about it or not. Or So, I mean, I think there are ways that you can be creative about talking about difficult things that, like, if, I think if you're creative about it, you don't always have to use words. And, and sometimes words are hard, like, talking sort of face-to-face can be really hard like walking I think you suggested going on a walk or moving um things that can just make the conversations a little more natural or easier I thought those were really nice questions that you had mum about do you have any worries what do you understand is happening and and do you have any worries and you've given me that advice and I've used it with my children when we were dealing with bereavement and I also found it, you know, it made, for me, it brought up questions for myself with my own two children, that dilemma between wanting to protect my children and wanting to mm. help them, uh, model for them how to navigate difficult stuff 
And if I cry in front of my children, trying to work out the balance between allowing them to see me cry and and <laughs> making them not feel freaked out that I'm crying and going, mommy's a bit sad right now, you know, she's just feeling sad about this, this, this. And never, never totally sure whether I've got the line right or not. Mm. Yeah. There isn't a tidy line, is there? That negotiation. But they do learn from what you model. So if they learn that idea of jumping in and out of puddles, that they can, and you can jump in a puddle and be really sad, and then you can cook them supper and give them a bath and get on with life. So you can jump in and jump out. Mm. That's what they will learn to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think it's, it's such a tricky line that probably it's very hard to navigate. I, I think our instinct always is to protect, isn't it? And, and not to go to the pain. And and also I think it's it's a balance, right? Like I think for your little children, you know, we, Sophie and I both have really young children. Um, for them to see you crying is completely fine. I think for them to see you completely out of control, hysterical, that is frightening. <laughs> um, and so I, I guess you're just trying to, to, to manage a balance between yeah. the extremes. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that you've always said to me, Anne, when we've talked about children, I've come to you and said, I don't know what to do about this. What do you think? Therapist sister. who's <laughs> used to working with children. <laughs> no, that you talk about rupture and repair, right? Yeah. And in, and that, that always I find incredibly comforting, this idea that I can get it wrong. I could get the line, you know, I can have been hysterical mm. or I can have shouted at my children or I blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the, re- the repair is possible. I think what I've learned with my, and I guess it's different for every different child and who you are and et cetera. But... It's often not in the moment that I can really have the conversation with them about what just happened if I realise I've got it wrong. It's often like a bit later when mm. they're quite a lot calmer. And, and you're calmer. And I'm calmer, they're calmer. The charge, the heat of the thing is not so much there anymore. <laughs> like for me, often the best time with my, particularly my five-year-old who's more able to have these kind of conversations is just be, you know, when I'm putting her in bed and it's quite soft and loving. We've had bath and they've wound down and... And then that's often a good slot for us to have a little uh, chat about, you know, earlier when blah, blah, blah. Do you think it would be helpful, blah, blah, blah? You know, like, mm. or do you have any worries? Or And that's different, different kids. For other kids, I imagine that might wind them up and then they can't go to sleep. But but for us, it's usually <laughs> quite a good slot. And I find it very comforting that there's this feeling that that's not the end of the conversation if I get it wrong in the moment, like, mm. or what feels like getting it wrong. That, that it's an ongoing negotiation, these things of the sort of mm. modelling. Yeah, and I, yeah, that idea, I think that, you know, research shows that it's, it's the repair that is more important than the rupture. And also you're modelling, because in their life, like relationships will break down, they will have fights with their friends. You're also modelling for them how to go on and repair those relationships, that they can go to their friend and say, oh, I'm sorry, I was really mean or when you did that, I felt like this or whatever the thing is, which is, you know, a really great strength. The thing that I'm getting from you in this aspect is that we can have this kind of cookie cutter, idealised version of ourselves as as a mother or a friend or a partner and that we feel like we have one chance to get it right. And actually, I think what you're saying is that we, when we have enough trust and enough goodwill and intention and love between us, it's an ongoing iterative process that changes and evolves and that you can have terrible fights, like we had terrible fights, um, <laughs> and you can still repair and love and even grow through mm-hmm. the fight because you understand each other a bit better. And you doing it with your younger children, they're learning that but by you modelling it. Mm. relating to what mom was just saying about relationships and parenting and repair I, I think the other really important thing when you're having any kind of conversations repairing conversations or difficult conversation is that as a parent it's okay to say I don't know I don't know what's going to happen um and that is a really counterintuitive thing but that's okay to say I don't know yeah yeah that's so good yeah and I think in our family life when um we have been dealing with bereavement in our family. Some of that advice that that mum offered in that conversation, she also offered to us as a family that I found really useful about when you don't know what's going to happen. And in our case, there, there was a bereavement that 
that's quite a, a precious time and having that information about how to have like the importance of having conversations with as few regrets as possible with that person to ask those questions to spend time and to try and get to that point where there are fewer regrets about how that went feels was really important to us and a really helpful advice and I think I when I listened to that and listened to mum saying it, I thought that's a really important part of the work that you've done through grief works through your Instagram that just getting that information out there when when there are these times of uncertainty and how you can how you can how how you can navigate the best to the, the, the following stages of whatever happens yeah. are more straightforward. Thank you both so much for your wisdom and insight and ideas. We'll leave it there for this week's episode. I'm very sorry to say that since I recorded this episode with Garant John, his wife Debs has died. Garant has very kindly agreed to come on season two of the podcast to tell us how he and his family are doing.